Voices of Simsis is the podcast of the Symbolic Systems Program at Stanford University. Each episode, you'll hear from a student, faculty, or alumnus related to symbolic systems, which is the interdisciplinary study of the relationship between minds, machines, and the world. Today's guest is Dan Schwartz, Dean of the Graduate School of Education. He'll be interviewed by Colin Nork about his past, his current work, and how symbolic systems has been a defining theme throughout his experiences. He will also address topics relevant to students trying to navigate an interdisciplinary field. I'm Jenny Z, an advising fellow of the Symbolic Systems Program, and this is Voices of Simsis. So I wanted to start us off by asking a few basic questions. Um, You've done a lot of work in different fields, from education to computer science. What are some of the overarching themes of your work? Uh, So it's a good question. So I I taught for a long time uh, in largely middle school. So I I do care about uh, helping people learn, making it a good experience. So that's sort of a constant theme through all of it, is to try and figure out how to do it uh, in a way that's uh, effective, satisfying for students. But along the way, you know, you can travel very far around. And I think if there was an animating sort of theoretical question, it's the how do sort of basic perceptual processes and uh, contribute to higher level thinking. Right. So. Uh, how does your visual system lead to the realization of number, for example, things like that? Interesting. Well, I remember reading some of your work on uh, assessment yeah. as well. Do you think you could talk about that? Yeah, so the concern around assessment is that uh, we, we, I'm, not, I'm not so concerned about uh, whether the assessments are good or bad. I'm concerned, it's called consequential validity. Mm-hmm. It is. Once this assessment's in place, what are the consequences for the kinds of things that people teach and do? And so, you know, tests drive a, well, drive a tremendous amount of behavior. You, the amount of private money that is made preparing people for very specific tests is very high, right? So you'd sort of like to get the test closer to what we really care about, so all that prep time. And the things we really care about are people being able to make good choices around learning opportunities. You know, and rather than just assuming they're always going to be fed the right stuff and told what to do. And so we try and assess that. Absolutely. It's really fascinating. Um, and you've come a long ways from where you inevitably started out. You ended up at Stanford back in 2000, um, but you started from a much different place. Can you talk a little bit about how you got here? Uh, so this, this could go on for a while. I'm old enough that there's a long, <laughs> a long story, but... So my undergraduate degree was in philosophy with a minor in anthro. And uh, I graduated and I realized I didn't want to get a philosophy PhD and become a taxi driver. <laughs> so it turned out I could, I could get an emergency credential and teach. So I taught in Los Angeles uh, in the inner city and had won an award and then they ran out of money so I got laid off. So I went up to Alaska and lived in this little Indian village and taught up there and I sort of taught everything. But while I was up there, after having read every Russian novel ever written, because it was cold and dark, uh, the personal computer showed up. It didn't exist before then. 
And then I discovered what philosophy is good for. I could create worlds from zeros and ones, right? And so I got really, I was good at it. I was interested in it. And I decided to go back to graduate school to sort of learn more about it because I was just doing it all by myself. And I went back in an area sort of learning technology, but at that time they didn't know anything. And this advisor said to me, uh, you should get a PhD with me. And I was like, okay. And so I got a PhD in human learning. Uh, and then I was a faculty member at Vanderbilt for a while, which was very formative, and then uh, came here. So that's, is that, is that what you were asking? Or are you asking yeah, my intellectual? Yeah, that, that, okay. that was perfect. That okay, was, yay for me. That's crazy. You went, so you, how long did you spend in Russia? Uh, no, not Russia, Alaska. Oh, oh, sorry, Alaska. Uh, it was Alaska. It was about the Arctic Circle, uh, near the Arctic Circle, five years. And, well, then, you, and then I lived in Anchorage for a year. You read a bunch of Russian novels. Yes, yes, that's sorry. Right, so, well, you're, you're in the cold north. What yeah, do you do? Exactly. I read all the Russian novels from the <laughs> class that I took in, in college on the Russian novel. I never read them because they were too long, and I didn't uh, have time. Now I had time. So. It's the perfect place. So... Um, here at Stanford, you know, we have the SimSys department, and uh, I'm curious as to how you've been involved with this department over the years. And it's a pretty new thing. Uh, in different ways, you know. Um, for a while, I taught a course that was cross-listed with SimSys, uh, and but then they stopped cross-listing, and then I stopped teaching because I'm dean. Uh, I've had a number of advisees through SimSys, um, and then. Uh, one of my PhD students actually got his master's in SimSys. So, so I've known about the program for a while. And I, I tend to bring more of a human learning focus, more empirical focus than a pure analytic. What, what is computable given this set of symbols? Mine's more, what, what do we know about the way people learn and, and can we model it with computational means? Yeah, and so SimSys, it's been growing here as a department. Um, do you think that, and you've talked about this a little bit in your own work, um, what are some of like the problems that SimSys is in an appropriate area to begin to solve? Uh, boy, in the age of the computer, you know, where basically we want the computer to be able to do amazing things. Uh, SimSys is kind of what's gonna help you understand what are the limits of what we can do, what are the appropriate uses of that. That shows up in education quite a bit where you start to, so at one point we made a technology where students taught a computer and it was very influenced by SimSys kind of thinking about how do we represent the computerized character such that when the children teach this character, they're gonna learn how to reason, right? And, and so that'll be a very SimSys kind of thing. Interesting. Have you done, I, I know you've said one of your research interests is in cognitive development. Have you done a lot of work with children? Not a lot. You know, my, my, my wheelhouse would be middle school, you know, puberty, probably. Uh, no, we've done, we've, we've done work where we uh, developed an application to teach math for four-year-olds, uh, where it was kind of a combination of state-of-the-art theory about how you come to know math, and then state-of-the-art theory about how people learn. And we put it in this technology, and then we try it out, and we see are our theories correct. You know, so so we we do that. That's kind of my special niche in the world, is I make uh, educational things that allow me to address fundamental questions about human cognition. A good example of that is we we did work that went all the way from neuroscience to classroom test on how do people come to know negative numbers. 
It's a very simsis question, right? Because you don't see negative numbers in the world. You don't go into a forest and see negative trees. So how do we, how can we possibly have a concept of it? It's a pretty recent concept, negative numbers. It, you know, it, it's I think like 1700 or somewhere in there, they sort of discovered it. People thought maybe it's more than infinity. So we went all the way from neuroscience to the classroom and, and basically the discovery was we make sense of negative numbers through symmetry around zero. And it turned out in schools, you don't teach negative numbers using symmetry around zero. This is the additive <laughs> inverse, x plus negative x equals zero. So this is the new thing you need to be able to create the symbol system of the integers. Symmetry is the perceptual representation that seems to embody that relationship. We then were able to put it in a curriculum and we showed that these kids learn more deeply. So that's, that's, that's what you get by being able to go from neuro to computer science to what's the carrying capacity of a symbol system <laughs> to the classroom to being able to do empirical research. That's why interdisciplinary rocks. Because you can't do that. Yeah, that's actually a crazy relation. Yeah. You start yeah. you start at one end in the purely academic, and yeah. there's some like real world applications yeah, yeah. at the end of it. But it was a very simsis question, right? How, how, what it, what is the nature of mind such that it can grasp or construct a negative number? Right. Absolutely. And yeah. what's I, I think what's so cool about simsis is that it has uh, the ability to tackle these questions from a bunch of different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Which which really makes it quite interesting. Um, I was curious, though. I mean, you're the dean of education now. Yes. Um, and so how much, I mean, this has clearly changed a lot in your time. Do you have the time uh, to, like, continue this research still and teach or? Uh, yeah. So I still, I teach the intro PhD stats course because being a very good SIMSIS kind of person, I figured out what the students really need to know to be able to make them understand. So it's a very good class. I enjoy it. I've taught, you know, all my life. I like it. I have a good lab, you know. I've been here for a while, so I build up a lab. So those those things go. But uh, I'm I am surviving more on knowledge that I already have as opposed to discovering new knowledge, and that hurts a little bit. You know, that's that's the the discovery process takes time, takes mind share. Mm -hmm. So I rely on what I already know, which you know that's okay because other people don't know it, so I can just yeah. tell them. You do know a lot. <laughs> uh, me, yes. In, in, when I'm feeling good about myself, I know a lot. <laughs> On bad days, I, I know nothing. <laughs> Those are the days where you just take a day off. Yeah, you know? pretty much. Go, Stay back. Go, it's go, watch, go watch the Avengers again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's when it's raining a lot. Yeah. It's been raining so much recently. Um, and so I guess I would like to ask a few questions relating for students in the Simpsons department. Right. And... Uh, I guess, do, do you have any advice for students who are pursuing an interdisciplinary focus? doesn't even have to be SimSys, but students who are trying to draw connections between multiple different fields. Boy, that is a good question. Um, so professionally, my approach has always been to make sure I have a seat of disciplinary expertise and then I collaborate with other people. Uh, and so, and, and the challenge here is sort of knowing what's important to them. So when I, I remember when I first started collaborating with neuroscience, uh, Anthony Wagner shows me this brain and he shows this area lighting up. And, I, and rather than me saying, who cares about that? It's the behavior that matters, which would be a, a, a sort of a typical response I've heard. It was, why is that important to you? Why is that thing happening right there important to you? And that's the key. Once I understand why it's important to them, then the, the disciplinary collaborations go very high. Uh, 
So I think as an interdisciplinary scholar, that's the challenge. It's to try and understand what are the issues that animate the discipline, right? It doesn't mean you have to be an expert in it, but you do need to understand what are the key questions they're trying to figure out and why is that important to the field. And once you have that, you know, it prepares you to learn everything else and to collaborate and to learn on your own. So those are, I think that's the key. That's an excellent answer. That's actually mm -hmm. some of the first I've heard about uh, the nature of collaboration, having depth in your field of being willing to reach out yeah, yeah. and work with people who are also experts. I mean, you can't know everything, um, even as an interdisciplinary scholar. Like, no, that's right. So, so uh, and, and I need to remember what my strong suit is. Right. My, I, there's no, I do not have time to become a world-class neuroscientist or a world-class at AI or machine learning. I just don't have the time. But I am world-class at figuring out how to cash that out and test it in, in improving people's lives. So the trick is for me to say, that's really interesting. If we did this, would it work here? And, 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 but I need to know enough about what's important to the other people so they want to collaborate as well. Honestly, that's a great way to kind of wrap up our discussion. So, you know, the SimSys, uh, I think as you take different courses, it may be difficult yeah. to see the core to it. Like, what, it, what mm -hmm. is the animating thing? I, the answer is, uh, what is the carrying capacity of symbols, right? That, yeah. that, that is, it classically has. But that's so abstract. Who, who, who knows what that means? That is incredibly abstract. <laughs> yeah, so, the, so the, the trick is to uh, give yourself some patience and that, you know, uh, sort of the insight shows up later. This is uh, like in studies of expertise, people don't do great things, you know, uh, sort of intellectual feats unless they've been working in the area for 10 years. So this is even true for the precocious Mozart. He'd been really working in music for a long time before it started to show up. So you don't think of your inter interdisciplinary effort as one in which you should crack the new theory right away, right? The goal is it takes time, it will pay off later. Turns out my philosophy degree has paid off over and over and over, right? So so it just, cause it, cause it can feel ambiguous in there. You know, all these different courses, how do they all fit together? And philosophy really teaches you how to think. Uh, I think philo philosophy teaches you to be humble. <laughs>